Welcome to Declaration, where we exist to help people encounter and follow Jesus. Here at Declaration, we believe that God has a word for you and for your family, to live a life of fullness and to be faithful to Christ and His church. If you want to know more about who we are at Declaration Church, then I highly encourage you to visit declaration.org. Well, good morning, everybody. Who's feeling good this morning? Anybody? Man, y'all look good this morning. Let's do this. Can we clap and celebrate and cheer? If you're in fifth or sixth grade, we want to dismiss you. We're going to love you well as you leave. Hey, keep clapping for a minute. Let's welcome everyone joining us in the online family for a second. We're glad that you're with us as well. You heard it, 21 Days Week 2 begins. Um, if you uh, have not been able to, to jump in just yet, you want a book, um, we have a few probably here floating around in the Connection Center. We would love to give that to you, make that a gift to you, put that in your hands. You can jump right in. You're not far behind at all. You can catch up quickly. Those chapters are brief, but full of some good stuff. And so we want you to do that. And uh, make sure you just text 21 Days to 43,000. You can also catch up right there. We're excited about all that God is doing. I hope that God, I hope that you're seeing God do some really incredible things right now in your life and in your life of your family. Um, I just got to spend, uh, I don't know, it feels, it feels like about a week, but I think it was like 24 solid hours with a teenage group up in Longview, Texas. And so I'm operating on a lot of caffeine and very little sleep, but the Lord is good. Amen. All right. Number three, anybody know who number three is? Number three, Damar Hamlin. Anybody know the story? DeMar Hamlin of the Buffalo Bills has captured the attention and the hearts of not just the NFL and not just America, but really, literally people all around the world after this horrible accident that unfolded live on Monday Night Football just a few weeks ago. And after taking a perfectly precise hit to the chest, tragically, DeMar suffers cardiac arrest, which causes his heart to stop immediately. We see him, he kind of, um, attempt, you know, he makes a tackle, he attempts to stand up and he just collapses onto the field. Horrible visual image, um, just horrible as we saw that collapse take place in real time. The scene is chaotic, EMS comes out, team doctors come out, um, the team starts to come out, they start to kind of rush the field and the rest of the game would end up being canceled, but not before we would begin to see some visuals of many players from both teams gathering together to pray. It was profound. In fact, since that horrific night in Cincinnati, we have seen many teams now um, over the last few weeks meet midfield and they kneel and they pray together. On national television, this is happening. Even ESPN sports commentator Dan Orlovsky prayed for DeMar live on air. Watch this that happened on ESPN. I've heard it all day, like thoughts and prayers. And you just heard Scherf and Jonathan Allen say, like, all we can do is pray not, for him. It's That's just on my heart that I want to pray for It him. is. DeMar Hamlin, right, right, right now. God, we come to you in these moments that we don't understand, that are hard, uh, because we believe that you're God and Coming to you and praying to you um, has impact. We're, we're sad, we're angry, um, and we want answers, but some things are unanswerable. We just want to pray, truly come to you and pray for strength for Damar, for healing for Damar, for comfort for Damar, to be with his family, to give them peace. If we didn't believe that prayer didn't work, we wouldn't ask this of you, God. I believe in prayer. We believe in prayer. 
And we lift up Damar Hamlin's name in your name. Amen. 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 Wow, right? Now, while I would never wish harm to Damar Hamlin or anyone else for that matter, one thing that we can see that's come from this is that prayer, the prayer has increased the faith of very of many, many people over these last few weeks. In fact, many players, coaches, and commentators have been far more, um, so many more conversations are beginning to take place. There, there's so, more, uh, so much more openness about matters of faith happening right now. Over and over, the visuals of players gathering to pray have filled our television screens, and they have filled the hearts of many watching with increased faith as they participate in their own way or as they pray along with them. So what have we seen since that horrible accident? We've seen God move in supernatural ways, in powerful ways. We've seen Damar wake up coming out of a coma. We've seen him come off the ventilator that was literally keeping him alive for hours and hours. We've seen him now smile for a picture. We've seen him post and respond on social media. And finally, we've seen him discharged walking out of the hospital. God has done incredible things. He's answered the fervent prayers of so many and, and many have seen God move in ways that they have, maybe they've never seen God move before. Listen, prayer matters. It matters deeply. Notice the first response immediately after DeMar collapses, people begin to pray. Now let me say this with no judgment at all, okay? No judgment at all. Imagine if many in this world today, rather than waiting for tragedy to strike or rather or when, when facing, you know, moments of real hardship and suffering or when confronted with situations of dire need, imagine instead of prayer being our last resort, what if prayer became our first response? Corey Ten Boom once said this, she said, is prayer your steering wheel or your spare tire? See, when we pray first, then we engage with God in prayer. When we engage with God in prayer, it engages our faith and activates and awakens us to the reality of supernatural God activity. It increases our faith when we begin to see God's hand moving at work. Pastor Chris Hodges from this book that we are reading called um, Pray First said, God wants to be first. He wants to be the center of our attention, our affection, our attitude, and our actions. So today I want us to look at a man who... Put God first. God was the center of his attention. God was the object of his affection. God was the origin, if you will, of his attitude and the motivation of his actions. He was not perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but he is one that we can profoundly learn from this morning, especially as it pertains to just meeting with God, to living into the presence of God, to praying so if you will, go to Exodus 33 with me. We're gonna start in verse seven. Um, it's important to know some context. Exodus 33, like I said, it's one of my favorite passages, especially as someone with, that's a worshiper. I got a heart of, man, I, just, I love worship. Not singing, not songs, not music, not emotion. I love to be in the presence of God. And this passage has just been so life-giving for me, so spiritually forming for me. So here's some context. At the beginning of this passage, God had told Moses to get up and get going. That, that kind of jumped out at me. I didn't put it on the screen for you, but it's like verse one. He starts to say, get up and get going, right? What do we know? What do we know? Well, we know basically that Moses is supposed to be busy heading toward and leading God's people towards the promised land, promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. 
So we know that this has taken place, and, and they're, they're kind of camped out, obviously, and God says, hey, time to get up and get going, big boy, right? He's to lead God's people. They've been rescued out of the slavery of Egypt into the land promised. You know, they're, they're heading to this land promised by God. Um, it was a land of promise to offer prosperity. We see right there in those first few verses, God said it's, it's the land that's flowing with milk and honey. One issue, though, God tells Moses, I will not travel among you. I will not travel among you. He will not go with them. Now, we're going to clearly see in a minute, this is a deal breaker for Moses. He called the people stubborn. He called the people rebellious. God concerned himself with the reality that he would assuredly end up destroying them along the way if he went. Why? Well, because God is completely holy. He's completely set apart. And here are his people completely stubborn and stiff-necked, unruly and rebellious. He says, I'm not going to go with you. The promise is there. The land is there. Moses will lead you, but I'm not going to go because I'll kill you on the way. (laughs) Now, this causes the people to go into deep mourning. They strip themselves of jewelry. They strip themselves of fine clothes as a way of showing remorse and repentance from their rebellion. This is what God told them to do when he decided what to do with them, basically. And that's where we pick up in the story. So I want you to notice Moses, what he's doing. I want you to think about why he's doing what he's doing. What are his motivations? Look at verse 7. It says, it was Moses' practice. Somebody say practice. Such an important word. It was Moses' practice to take the tent of meeting and set it up some distance from the camp. Now, like, first thing to note here, that this was Moses' practice, meaning, or supposition, this was a normal routine that Moses would do. This was more than a habit. This was his lifestyle. This was his practice. Um, What can we derive from this? Moses regularly met with God. Regularly. And in meeting with God, A, he would choose a special place where they would meet, which revealed that Moses believed that time, that meeting, to be very significantly important. So it would be a special place. He would choose a place outside the camp, just a little distance. He would, watch this, he would distance himself from normal and ordinary. He would distance himself from distraction. He wanted one-on-one, intimate time meeting with God. It was his practice. He would make it a habit to move to a special, sacred, set-apart place to have this meeting with God outside the camp, away from everything, away from everyone. Now, this should speak to us today. Being a person who chooses to put God first, making him the center of our attention, affection, attitude, and actions means that we believe time with God to be significant and deeply important. It means we meet with God regularly. It means we make that meeting a priority. It means we know that our time with God will be a time that is to be set apart holy. Therefore, we set it apart. We put it into practice. We find a special place. We choose a special time. So to remove any distraction or to set it apart from our ordinary and our normal and our everyday routine, to communicate to God that this time is prioritized time to reveal a heart declaring the preeminence of God in our lives. Um, It's not 
attractive, but a lot of time that I spend with God one-on-one is in my car. It's probably the quietest place that I can get where I'm alone. And at first I thought, well, this feels like leftovers until I started leaning in, realizing, oh, no, no, this is not leftovers. I have actually a lot more time in my day when I focus time in my car with God than I would if I try at a certain moment or a certain time. I'll start my day, but then I find myself in my car moving from here to there, there to here. Da, 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 da. And so my conversation with God ends up being this continual conversation that begins in the morning but goes all day long. Where is the special place? Some of you have whole rooms dedicated, like square footage. Man, that is amazing. It's like y'all watch that movie. You're like, I can do that. I'm building myself a prayer closet, a war room. Moses prioritized. And the priority of the presence of God to Moses would declare the preeminence of God because Moses set time aside. And he went to a special place. Notice what the scripture says next. It says, it was Moses' practice to take the tent of meeting and set it up some distance from the camp. Watch this. Everyone who wanted to make a request of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. Everyone who wanted, listen, everyone, every, say everyone. Everyone who needed to meet with God would and could go to this tent outside the camp, meaning everyone and anyone was welcome to God at any time to meet with God. If anyone needed to make a request of the Lord, he, they would go to that special place that Moses had set apart, that, that set apart place of priority that Moses was set up to pursue God, to meet with God. But look at verse eight, whenever Moses went to the tent of meeting, all the people would get up and stand at the entrance of their own tents. They would all watch Moses until he disappeared inside. You know, it seems that while everyone was welcome and they knew where to go to speak to God, they were okay, watch this, to passively stand outside their own tents and watch Moses go meet with God. God. How often have we abdicated our ability to meet with God on our own behalf and by hanging onto the faith of the coattails of someone else? I mean, we have access to God 24-7 because of Jesus. We can meet with God anytime and anywhere that we desire. Ephesians 2.18, for through him we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. Hebrews 4.16 says this, um, therefore let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. See, we have our own access 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365. We have our own access to God. But all too often, we settle for someone else's faith, someone else's prayer life, someone else's devotion, someone else's inner session. Back to Exodus 33, verse 9. Moses went into the tent. A pillar of cloud would come down and hover at its entrance while the Lord spoke to Moses. The people are all standing outside their tents watching. They see. And now here's some encouraging news. See, listen, when we pursue God, be encouraged. He will draw near. The Bible says when we exalt him, he draws close. When we pursue him, he will come close. He will come near. I love this pillar of cloud conversation. It would come down, it would hover. You know what a cloud is? That's why we're saying, I see the cloud. I step in. See, the cloud represented the Shekinah. The cloud represented the Kabod, the gravity of the weight of the manifest presence of God. And so this cloud would come down and hover. 
When the people saw the cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, they would stand and they would bow down in front of their own tent. See, while many wouldn't maybe go in for themselves, they would still posture themselves in reverence, yet still outside their own tent. Look at 11. Inside the tent of meeting, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Afterwards, Moses would return to the camp. But the young man who assisted him, Joshua, son of Nun, he would remain behind in the tent of meeting. This is so rich. Why? Because when Moses was finished, and Moses, remember, he made a practice of this. This was something that was happening often. And long after Moses decided, okay, I'm finished and I'm going to go back and I'm going to lay down or do whatever I got to do, Joshua, his apprentice, would linger. He would stay longer in the presence of God. He would linger. See, lingering means, or it comes from this motivation, desiring more of the presence of God. He would linger. Um, Kelly and I had the opportunity you know, Jaden, my son who's leading, um, goes to Belonging uh, Co-Church in Nashville where he lives. And last year, Kelly and I, he really wanted us to come to their conference last year. So we went and we were, we were hanging out. And have anybody ever heard Christine Kane preach before? Anybody? Christine's up on the, on the platform and, and she is speaking and, and she hits this moment of linger. Um, she's going to preach Exodus 32 and 33. I'm all jazzed up because I, I know where we're going, but she doesn't go where we're going. She focused on Joshua lingering. And some of the things that she said was so profound because she, she clearly, definitively, I mean, you could have heard a pin drop in this big arena with thousands of people. I mean, she laid out lingering. And she goes, you know what? We don't like to linger. We don't have time to linger. Our schedules are far too busy. We've got far too much going on. We're far beyond the microwave generation. We're far beyond the point of sale people. We don't like to linger. We want instant. We want it now. We want TED Talks. We want social media status. We like to sum up our day and our life experiences in 140 characters or less, often with filters to make it all look better than it actually really is. We don't want to linger. We don't want to take the time necessary. But actually, she said this. She goes, it's not really quite true because statistics will show you we are very good at lingering on things like Netflix and Pornhub. And Joshua would, would stay in the tent of meeting in the presence of God and he would linger. He would linger. Listen, here's some questions. Who would take over for Moses when Moses had finished his assignment from God? Joshua, who would carry the anointing of Moses, who would Moses, you know, who Moses would lay his hands upon and he would take over that ministry? Who would that be? Joshua. Who would eventually actually lead the people into the land of promise? Joshua. Feel free to disagree, but there just may be a coincidental reality to Joshua willingly lingering in the tent of meeting with God to God, giving Joshua such a significantly important assignment. See, it's those who are willing to linger that God calls to lead. Let me say it this way. For those deeply desiring to live in the passionate center of God's will for your life, alignment comes before assignment. And so Joshua would only really be able to inhabit the assignment of God when Joshua would linger enough with God to have the right alignment with God. 
just a thought. Verse 12, one day Moses says to the Lord, you've been telling me, take these people up to the promised land, but you haven't told me whom you will send with me. You've told me, I know you by name and I look favorably upon you. If it's true that you look favorably on me, let me know your ways so I may understand you more fully and continue to enjoy your favor and remember that this nation is your very own people. I mean, here we see Moses. I mean, he is, I think there's, there's just this urgency, this almost angst in his, in his soul. He's saying, you've, you've, you've said that I'm gonna, do, but you haven't told me who's gonna go with me. I mean, you said you know me by name and, and, and you look favorably upon me, God. You've got your favor rest upon my life. So let me know your ways so I can understand you better. Here's a guy who spent so much time with God and he's sitting here going, God, let me know your ways so I can understand you better. Oh, and don't forget these are your people, right? <laughs> this nation, these are your people. I mean, he's like throwing all of it. Kitchen sink, hey God, don't forget. He's talking to him. He prioritizes time. Look what happens next, verse 14. The Lord replies, I will personally go with you, Moses, and I will give you rest. Everything will be fine for you. Okay, this is an interesting dichotomy. What did he just say not long before? And now he's saying, I'll personally go with you. I will personally go with you, Moses. Do you see this? Moses says this, he says this. This, this, this is the part that I love so much. He says, if you don't personally go with us, don't make us leave this place. Now that verse right there says so much and we're gonna unpack it in the time we have left. But he says, if you don't personally go with us, God, I don't wanna take another step in any direction. I mean, he's saying, I want you, God. I don't want some angel leading the way, right? If you don't go with us, God, you, I don't want to go anywhere. See, it's in this verse that we see, though Moses is, he looks, he's heading to the land of promise from God. Nothing is more important, however, to Moses than the presence of God. Are you following me yet? Moses, he, Here's a man who prioritizes prayer. He's a man who would pray first and he would pray often. He'd become so accustomed and enamored by and in love with the presence of God in meeting with God that nothing else would be more important to him than God. See, something about the conversation, take note, something about the conversation that Moses was having with God changed the heart and changed the mind of God. At first, God says, I will not go with you. I will surely kill you all. Verse 14, now he says, I'll go with you. And doubles down, everything will be fine for you. See, what is it about this situation that God would change his mind? I believe that it was, the, it, was, it was the heart of Moses and how he responds to God, how he worships, how he adores, how he, how he chooses God first every time, all the time. If you don't personally go with us, do not make us leave this place. I could care less about the land of promise if I don't have your presence. This is Moses saying, I'd rather have your presence every time over promise? I'd rather have your presence every time over provision. That's what he's saying. See, Moses could have asked for a new, I mean, immeasurably, he could have asked for so many things. But look at the one singular thing he focused on. 
If it's true that you've looked favorably on me, let me know your ways. If you don't personally go with us, 15, don't make us leave this place. Moses is passionately praying here, seeking, begging God. Obviously, his relationship with God is so deeply important to him, so much so, God is his primary priority. Charles Spurgeon once said this. He says, I know of no better thermometer of your, t- of your spiritual temperature than this, the measure of the intensity of your prayer. See, Moses was an intentional, I mean, intense person of passionate prayer. His primary concern, the presence of God, not the power of God, not the promise of God, not the provision of God, just the presence of God. If you don't go with this personally, God, I don't want to take one step in any direction here. See, God, your presence is so absolutely necessary to me that it is far more important than any perceived need that I may have. If you don't go with this, I don't want to go without you. Besides, 16, how will anyone even know that you look favorably upon me and, and, and on your people if you don't go with us? For your presence among us sets your people and me apart from all the other people on the earth. See, God, it is your presence that defines us. Man, we gotta learn from that right there. God, it's your presence that defines me. It's not your provision. It's not your promise. It's not your power. It's your presence. Can we say that? Listen, can we say that it's his presence? Truly, only his presence that defines us. Could it be said of us that his presence is first and foremost, always the greatest priority over his promises, over his provision? Moses concerned himself first and foremost with the presence of God, which is why he was a person with this passionate prayer life. See, far too often, we tend to concern ourselves more with what God can do for us rather than who God is to us. We are all too easily finding ourselves getting offended by God when our expectations don't meet our experiences, when God seems silent, when God isn't answering our prayers the way we want him to or when we want him to. Could it be that we really love the hand of God and the blessing of God more than the heart of God and the presence of God? I love, because when Leslie was leading, she even said, she goes, we love your face more than your hand. Could it be? And you know what? Grace to you. You have grown up in an area in the land that says you're entitled to everything you get to live this American dream. Grace to you. Grace to you. But could it be that we find ourselves stuck in a moment where we can't get past the fact that God is not answering when we're asking? Maybe it's because we're really not pursuing. We're just pressing. Dance, God. Do what I need you to do when I need you to do it. So today, do we approach God in prayer as our first response or our last resort? Would you say your time with God in prayer is defined by lingering or, or is it defined by your checklist? Your needs. Let's see how it ends. Verse 17, the Lord replies to Moses, I will indeed do what you've asked for. I look favorably on you and I know you by name. Moses responded, then show me your glorious presence. God, show me your glory. Show me your glory. Not God, answer my prayer. Not God, deliver on your promise. Not God, I need your provision. No, Moses, his heart, his position, his passion, his posture. God, show me your glory. I want your presence more than anything else. I need to know you're with me. What if that's really what it's all about, right? 
What if the promise of God is much more about his presence and lingering rather than answers to our list or some land out there and whatever that might represent for you? See, the Lord replies, and look at 19 as we close. He says, I will make, what does this word say? I will make what? I will make all my goodness pass before you. At least all the goodness and the glory that Moses as a human could stand and live to talk about. See, Moses was a man passionate about the presence of God because he was a man of persistent, prioritized prayer. He prayed first and foremost. He prayed often. He lingered. He loved God. Yeah, there's a promise out there. Yeah, we know the rest of the story. He didn't at that moment, I don't think. But we know the story. But even still, over the things that God could do, Moses just wanted God. He just wanted God. Martin Luther once said this, to be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. you would desire a deeper, more intimate knowledge and connection with God. We got to pray. Do you desire to live in such a way that you host the presence of God? We got to pray. It's not that God's not going to meet your needs. It's not that God doesn't want you to live into your promise. It's not, it's not that God doesn't want to unleash incredible purpose in your life. It's not that God doesn't want to give you the desires of your heart. These are all biblical things. It's the, it's the what's at the core? What's at the motivation? What it, and who is it that we really love? You want to see God move in power? We got to pray. William McGill once said this, the value of consistent prioritized prayer is not that he will hear us, but that we will hear him. Pray, pray first, pray often. It was June of 2013. There was a news broadcast across the country that featured a little boy named Grayson Clamp doing something he had never done before. Imagine this with me, if you will. He was three years old and he was born without the auditory nerves that carries down to the brain. Three years old, Grayson. No ability to to hear. Now, attempts were made to restore his hearing with a a colloquial ear or implant, I should say. All those attempts became unsuccessful. So doctors at the University of North Carolina tried an experimental procedure to implant an auditory nerve directly into Grayson's brain. The procedure actually proved to be successful and millions of people enjoyed seeing the look of wonder and the look of joy on this little three-year-old face when he heard his father's voice for the very first time. You know, today with the technology available, communication is instant, but even then it was such a delight to hear from a family member or a friend so far away, just as we respond to those familiar voices with pleasure. Listen, God delights in hearing from his children. Can you imagine that little boy hearing the voice of his father for the first time? 
and, and here's, what, here's the reality. I think instead of the implant being in our head, I think it needs to be in our heart. And maybe we would hear the voice of our Father for the first time. And it would undo us like Moses was so undone in the presence of God. So undone. So why do we pray? Certainly, it's not to inform God of what we need. Listen, he already knows everything about our situation. It's not to inform God about what we need. He knows us better than we could ever devise. He knows the answer that it will actually be best for us. Listen, prayer is meant in part to remind us of how dependent on God we truly are. Prayer is not just for our benefit. No, God delights. He enjoys time with you and me. He loves it. He loves it. Would you close your eyes with me? Maybe stand to your feet. You know, we pray first because praying first tells God that He's our greatest priority. And we pray because God delights in our praying to Him, our meeting with Him. Would you just hold your hands out as if I'm about to hand you something and know this, I have nothing good to give, but I'm going to pray right now that God would do something so significant in your heart and in your mind and in your life as we pray together. Jesus, become our greatest treasure. Become our most passionate object of our affection. Jesus, give us such deep desire to meet with you not just some of the time not just at the beginning of the day but all of the time God may our life be the tent of meeting that's set apart may our heart become the tent of meeting that's outside the camp it's holy and set apart just for you be the object of our attention and our affection our actions our attitudes our allegiance we choose you first just in this posture of prayer I'm going to invite our prayer team and our elders families and our staff if they would make themselves available along the black curtain over here to your right and we're going to sing just a little bit of a response song to the Lord just for a minute before we go and here's what I'm, I'm wondering maybe maybe God is working in your heart maybe he's working in your life maybe he's calling you to a place of of passionate intimacy with him today maybe there's some things that you know there's some walls we're going to ask and believing that the cross and the resurrection has broken dividing walls it's torn down the wall of hostility it's torn the veil we have access to God the only walls that are there are the walls that the enemy is trying to convince you that are there so we're going to invite the Lord to break through into your heart into your mind I'm going to ask him, Jesus, allow us to meet with you and to hear you. Zephaniah 3, singing songs of love over us. Allow us to hear you. Declare truth over our lives of what you see, what you know, what you believe. So if you need prayer this morning, I'm going to invite you as we sing. Would you move and just let those, those team members just love you and minister to you and champion you for a moment and let's just respond to the Lord for just a second as we sing.
Thank you so much for joining us today. Maybe today you need to take the next step in your faith, whether that be giving your life to Christ or maybe you would like prayer and need to be contacted by one of our pastors. In the podcast description, you will find a link to our website and a link to an online connection card. And if you feel led, there will also be a link there where you can give directly to the ministries of Declaration Online. We would love to hear from you. God bless you and have a wonderful week.